You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey gals, hope you're having a great day. We're going to jump right in today. We're just going to go for it today. We're going to have a chat today. This is going to be one of those times where you just feel like you need to pull up a chair and just really wish that we could just sit across from each other and have this conversation. Well, we can't, right? Y'all would not all fit in my closet, but we're, I'm getting comfy in here and we're going to kind of go through a pretty difficult topic today. And I'm going to warn you right now, it's not really a bad thing. Warning makes it sound like it's a bad thing. But I think this is going to be a two-parter. So I'm going to talk about depression today. And I'm sure you all smiled and like, oh, goody, we get to talk about depression. But this really needs to be talked about. I feel really strongly about this particular topic. I think the Bible has a lot to say about this. I have shared my own story in this very first episode that we did of the Devoted Podcast was on this. And as I prayed about what that very first episode was going to be of this podcast, I got to tell you, when that was the thing that the Lord really impressed upon my heart that that's what I needed to start with, I kind of wanted to tell him no. (laughs) I wanted to be like, no, how about we talk about Bible study? How about we talk about scripture memory? How about we talk about prayer? But no, the thing that he put on my heart to really go for on that very first one was just sharing how he had met me in my own seasons of depression. Depression is a big, ugly monster in our culture, for sure. And it affects more women than men, but it obviously it it affects both. It doesn't really seem to care what nationality you are, socioeconomic status. Depression is just kind of everywhere. And I looked into this a little bit from the factual side. So just to give you an idea, if you're one that, hey, you've never struggled with depression and you've just never had any of these things that you read about in the news or that maybe you've heard a friend talk about, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Thank the Lord for that. However, many, many, many Americans, and probably you know someone, maybe it's a spouse, it's a sister, it's a friend, it's maybe the teenager that lives in your house, you've had some touch points with depression. And it's in the news quite a bit. Now, when you look up some of the numbers on this, just in case you are like, huh, this is a big deal. I think we all kind of know it's a big deal, but I just want to remind us of what a big deal. How how big is depression in our culture right now? So I, I was looking at this one particular study that was talking about depression, but also specifically the use of antidepressants as a, I don't know what they're going to call it, as a treatment, as a cure, or whatever they want that they were using antidepressants for, but how many Americans are using antidepressants as a treatment for their depression. So this is an old study. It was back in 2011 that the National Center for Health Statistics, it said that the rate of antidepressant use in the country among teens and adults, so anybody 12 years of age and older, had increased by 400% between the years 1988 and 1994 when they did the study, and then when they followed it up in 2005 to 2008 went up by 400%. The federal government's health statisticians, their figure is about that it's one in every 10 Americans is currently on antidepressants. Okay, that was a Harvard health study. But again, that was from 2011. It's kind of old. Now, currently, what does that number look like? I don't do math, or at least when I do, it kind of hurts. But 
the number that I read said that 16.5% of Americans are on antidepressants. So if my math is right, which <laughs> to be real, it's probably not, but I believe that's around 45 million people if I was able to get the census number right. Either way, that's a lot of people, 16.5%. So depression's a big deal. It's a big deal in our culture. And the use of antidepressants with your depression diagnosis is a really big deal. I mean, we are a very medicated society, to be sure. So it was interesting to me when recently there was a study that came out. Now, this one, the when I read this article, it was dated July 21st of 2022. I am going to post the link to this article. There's other places that you, I'm sure you can get it. But the headline of this article said, this is the title, it said, depression is probably not caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. New study. That was the headline. So I want to read you just a few clips, and I'm going to try to go through these quickly because the scripture pieces I want to get to are far more important than all of the stats and all that kind of stuff. But I want to, I think it's important to share some things that doctors and science and the things that they are now proving about the use of antidepressants that goes very contrary to the things that we've been told for the last, well, 30 years, as it even says here in this article, right from the gate. It says for three decades, people have been deluged with information suggesting that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, namely an imbalance of a brain chemical called serotonin. However, the article goes on to say, our latest research review shows that the evidence does not support this. So this is a pretty startling statement. If you have any touch point with depression, antidepressants, and the use of them, this is very contrary to the information we've said. I myself have said that doctors tell us that there are times that are, your depression is a result of a chemical imbalance in the brain. I've said that because that at the time, that's what they were telling us. What I find interesting about this is that even though I, as I shared even my own story with this, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about more of this in a minute, but there's always been this piece to me that it didn't really sit right. But of course, guys, I get so, I guess, almost, I don't want to say it's fear of man, but maybe it is a little bit, a little bit of, wow, there's people that are way smarter than me. There's doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists, and, you know, surely they know more. And I can't speak for everyone in everyone's situation, you know, so I'm sure there is some caveat, this was my thinking, that a chemical imbalance in the brain, as these doctors are saying, that perhaps there is a time that these antidepressants would be helpful for that. So that's what we believed. That's what we thought. However, as this article goes on to say, it says countless doctors have repeated this message all over the world in their private surgeries and in the media. People accepted what they were told, and many started taking antidepressants because they believed they had something wrong with their brain that required an antidepressant to put it right. So this, this article goes on to talk about all the things on why we've used them, the information that we've been told. But here's the thing. How the study concludes is important. Because it says it's important that people know that the idea that depression results from a chemical imbalance is hypothetical. This was the result of the study, guys. And we do not understand what temporarily elevating serotonin or other biochemical changes produced by antidepressants do to the brain. We conclude that it is impossible to say that taking SSRI antidepressants is worthwhile or, it says, even completely safe. This is a pretty radical statement that it's saying not only can they not 
prove that it will help you, that it's worthwhile, but they can't even prove, they're not even sure if they can say it's completely safe. Now, the article states in here, very important to say, as I would also echo, if you're taking antidepressants, very, very, very important that you don't stop taking them without talking to your doctor. These are very powerful drugs that they manipulate things in your brain. So that should be respected and you need to talk to your doctor if that's you. So don't hear all this and you're like, oh, I didn't know all this and I better stop taking immediately. Please, please, please do not do that. Talk to your doctor about what should be done about that. My point in this is that here is this radical study that's pointing out that for years we've been told that if you suffer from depression, it's because there's a chemical imbalance in your brain, take this pill and this will fix it. Now, it's important to say, too, that this study isn't necessarily saying that some did not find relief from some of their symptoms of depression. I think it's it's fair to say, and maybe you're hearing this and you're one of those that would say, man, you know, I took antidepressants or I am taking them and they have really, really helped me. And I've heard other people say that. If that's the case, I don't actually think that that negates what the study is saying, though, because the study is addressing that we have been we've been told that the cause of depression is a result of chemical imbalance in the brain. And therefore, if we adjust those chemicals, you'll be all good, right? This is going to be a really overly simplistic analogy, but, you know, again, I'm not the highly educated here. But if you take Advil, take Tylenol, take something for a headache, and it helps your headache, you know, did it cure it? Did did it cure the cause of your headache or does it numb your pain receptors? You know, does it subdue the pain that you are experiencing? It doesn't necessarily treat the cause of why you got that headache. And you may have an experience that is similar to this using antidepressants. Some of your symptoms may have been numbed or subdued, but did you necessarily cure it is the question. And to be fair, guys, if you if you don't believe what I'm saying, you can click on this link and you can actually read the actual study that they did on this. You can read that and say that what the study is showing on this issue is that the answer to this is is no. You know, it's not curing it. And it's saying it goes further because it says it may not even be safe. Okay, regardless of where you come down on this issue, that should at the very least give us some pause about this. So like, let's think about this. Let's pray about this. So like I said, my own story, I've, I've given it in great length on that first episode of the Devoted Podcast. So I'm not going to go into that a ton again. But I want to just remind you guys, and I hope that you'll hear my heart behind the microphone a little bit today, that I have battled with depression. I have experience with antidepressants. I am not approaching this topic with a, well, that must be really tough for you kind of thing. And and like, I just don't have any, any handlebars on this. I, I really... While I'm not going to say that, oh, my goodness, my case is worse than anybody else's. Oh, absolutely not. That, you know, I don't I think comparison is such a, a terrible thing anyway. But I'm just saying I have enough. I have some context with this and I have fought through for many, many years, really struggled with this. So I hope that as we go through this today, you don't hear this with any ins insensitivity or keeping someone at arm's length on this topic. It's a sensitive one, but it's a really important one. And as I have gone through this and all of this, I, you know, I felt like kind of reading this study for me, it was sort of like giving the conclusion that I feel like in some ways the Lord gave me 20 years ago. Very personal to me. I want to read you guys because this sort of brought 
this whole podcast to mind, and this is not my notes because I was not planning on going here, but in Matthew 10, 26, so have no fear of them for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And when you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those that kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, that's a whole huge and so much packed into that verse. That, But the piece that I want to uh, just highlight is when I read this study, and then uh, like a couple days later, eh, it was about a week or two, I'm reading this verse in verse 27. It says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light that what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. I felt like in a lot of ways, this study is something that the Lord whispered to me in my own dark. And we do have fear about the talking about this because we always feel like, man, I, I'm not educated enough to talk about this. I, you know, I, I can't speak for everyone, that kind of stuff. Well, I certainly don't want to do either of those things. And I'm not even going to try to purport that I, I come with like all kinds of medical degrees. Absolutely not. I want us to look to what the Bible says. And I want us to look to what he says about this. Because more than anything, depression just may be a disease of the soul, a disease of the soul. And and why the soul? I think I think it's because of who the enemy is that we fight in it. Now put a pin in that and I'm going to explain that and come back to that. But I want to break this down a little bit on how about let's talk about who's depressed and why. Okay. What are the things that put us in a season and a spot of depression? Well, I am just going to address three. There's probably others, but here's the ones that I can identify. Number one, I think of the situational things in your life that you can control, things that you can control that can send you spinning a little bit into a season, either put you in one or keep you in a season of depression. And I'm going to talk in a little bit more in depth about what each of those are, but situations that you can control, you know, think about the things that you're watching, the things that you're feeding into your brain, you know, those kinds of things. What are, What's your environment like? The kind of people you're around, those kinds of things. There's some situational things that you can control that you know yourself, you know what can be a little bit of a trigger for you in putting you in a season or keeping you in a season of darkness. So situations that you can't control. The second one I would say would be situational things that you can't control, okay? Things that come your way that you just didn't see coming, okay? It could be an illness. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be losing a job. It could be something situational that you just had no control of, but it just hit you. And the third one, and I, and this is actually kind of one that encompasses both of these things, but I want to look at it from a slightly different angle, and that is just spiritual warfare just on its face. So I think those are the three things that we're going to look at on why we can get depressed. So the thing that I see when I look at those three things is that there is a common denominator, and that the common denominator in every single one of those is Satan. It is the enemy. He's in every single one of these. Listen to how Psalm 143 puts this. Psalm 143 verses three and four says, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Now that word appalled there, the connotation is that it's astounded or another connotation of it is confused, which I find that an interesting implication in that word because often in depression, you just, your brain just feels muddy. It feels confused. It feels just lost. But this Psalm right there, this is David talking. Do you think David went through depression? 
I mean, that might be the best description of depression that I have ever read. Let me read to you just a little bit again. First of all, it says the enemy, he's pursued my soul. But this is what it says it does. It says he's crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. I mean, his heart feels faint. He feels confused. This is a pretty good picture of depression. I'm going to go ahead and venture to guess that David knew exactly what you're going through if you're in a season of depression right now or what your friend is going through. David felt that, okay? More importantly, the Lord felt that because let's not forget that all scripture is God-breathed and it is inspired and this is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through David. So let's go back to our things about each of those, the one, two, and three on why we get depressed. And that first one I said was that the situational things that you can control. And I think this can look like what your device diet looks like. Let's talk about that just for a second. Let's just get super practical. But it could just be distraction in general, keeping your eyes on something other than what you should. So anything that distracts you, maybe it's binging Netflix, maybe it's reading a book all hours of the night that maybe is not a healthy book for you to read. Maybe it is just scrolling endlessly through Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook or whatever the thing that is distracting you from doing something that would actually feed your soul. So what does your device diet look like? That could be a good question to ask. And this can be on all sorts of things. Our devices are, I have no doubt, and I'm there probably is one, but I, I don't know, a link between our device usage and the increase of that in correlation with the rate of depression going up in our country, specifically in America, where we're just like feeding on our devices all the time. I think there's something to that. And I think the piece of it is not, okay, not that your phone is, is evil, but it's the distraction, right? It's keeping you mindlessly doing something other than maybe what you should be doing. And I, and I absolutely think the enemy uses this. So if you're a parent, you can think of this as distraction. You know, are you looking at your phone? Or are you looking at your kids? But you're supposed to. I mean, there's all kinds of things that distraction keeps us from doing the thing that is what's best for us. And the contrast is that, well, okay, maybe we should be in the Word, but how much does opening your Bible and spending time in the Word, how attractive is that versus all the pretty colors on Instagram. And you might even feel like, hey, I saw some really good verses and I listened to some theology 30-second moments or whatever on a reel. I've got it. But it's kind of like this fast food diet if that's assuming that your feed is some good stuff, you know? Often our feeds can be bad stuff. There can be things that are not good that can enter in all kinds of comparison and just things that you don't even want to be doing anyway. But it uses that distraction, because it's gonna, that's going to be a lot more fun. That's going to be a lot more palatable to do scrolling through something than actually engaging your brain and plugging into your Bible. That's a little harder. The Instagram has a lot more eye candy to that than actually reading scripture. So what about maybe it's neither of those things? Maybe, maybe it's not something that's, you know, more fun in quotes there, like Instagram or Facebook or anything on social media. What if it's just spending too much time maybe in the news or reading stories and man, you just Oh, you read them and there's there's never any good news. There's like zero hope. I mean, when does the news report on life-giving stories? <laughs> they don't, right? But the common denominator here that I want to point out here, we got with the situations that you can control, it's Satan again. He uses distraction, the bright and the shiny, to lure you to him. Or perhaps he's using the distraction of the fearful and the urgent of the news, you know, the things that just kind of get us all thrown up in a tizzy and throws that at us to maybe put you or keep you in the dark and away from anything that would really breathe life into you. 
I love the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. And, you know, this is where Jesus is giving this parable talking about the seed that is sown along the path. And he, and he goes through each type of path, type of soil that the seeds have been thrown on. So he, he says at the beginning, he talks about the seed that fell along the path that the birds came and devoured. And then he talks about the rocky ground that as soon as the, you know, the little seed sprouted up, it didn't have any roots. And so it just got scorched. And then he talks about the seed that fell along the thorns and what happened to that. And he goes through each of these kinds. And, and, I, and I love that in this particular parable, Jesus tells us exactly what this parable means and what the seed is. And I want to read this section when Jesus starts talking in verse 14 about what the parable of the sower is. And he says in, the, in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan... Notice he is identifying who the enemy is. It was the bird in the parable. Here he's saying Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. Those ones, he says, they hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. And then they have no root in themselves, but they endure it for a while. And then when trial, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. Check out what he says, though, about the ones sown among the thorns. He says, those are the ones, those who hear the word among the thorns, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I think our distractions kind of land in that one right there, those thorns, where we get really focused on the cares of the world or the desire for other things. And because our desire is for those things, because our cares are in the things of the world, then it just kind of chokes out the word itself. The enemy is at work in these situational things that we can control. And they can lead us or they can keep us in seasons of depression. He's just messing with your soil, you know? And could it be that we can control the condition of our soil by what we feed it and how we water it? How are we taking care of the soil, the things that we can control? So sometimes depression enters on things that are things we can control, but other times it's situations that we can't control. And these are the ones that are, these are tough, right? These are the ones where it's it's a diagnosis. It's a cancer diagnosis. It's the loss of a loved one. It's a bad relationship that you are in. It's a miscarriage you just suffered through. You know, I mean, the list can go on and these are hard things. You didn't, you didn't see it coming and here you go. You couldn't control it and there it is. And Man, the enemy loves these ones because then he gets to put all these little messages in your brain. Like, see, you know, you can't have joy right now because of fill in the blank. Or God doesn't care about you or else this wouldn't be happening to you. He's really good at this. And he exploits the situations outside of our control to propagate a narrative in your brain that makes you just play this over and over. Poor you. Poor you. You're a victim. You deserve better. Just going on and on and on about this is the worst situation you could be in. You can't do anything about this. God doesn't care. Man, he loves this. The enemy loves this. Check out Paul in Philippians. Keep in mind, he's in jail. It's a situation that he couldn't control. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. This is Paul saying, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. 
I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I love that verse. I always think it's so important for us. We, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me gets so pulled out of context all the time. This is a huge passage. Things are not going Paul's way. He's persecuted. And I do mean persecuted. And for all of us today in, you know, 2021, 22, all of these current day, okay, that doesn't mean that it's just somebody who doesn't like us. No, we're talking persecution, hated. He's in jail for preaching Jesus. He'd experienced loss of friends. He'd been stoned a few times, chased out of town. We're talking real persecution. So he's going through all of those things, and he says, but I'm good. And at that first part, he even says, I rejoiced greatly. He's not even just getting by, guys. Paul is what they would love to say, thriving and flourishing. Everybody loves those words right now. Paul is, he is rejoicing greatly. Where? In jail, hungry, alone. I mean, the, he, he was not doing great. Now, people can go, okay, but I'm not Paul, okay? He was super spiritual, and that's not me. And again, I'm going to point out the common denominator there is that the enemy wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that when you face a death in the family or really tough financial times or an illness, something that somehow the spirit that Paul had, that he had access to, to say, I rejoice greatly and that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, that somehow that spirit is different than the spirit that you have access to. It's a big fat lie. That is a lie. In fact, I'll take it up a notch and share with you what Paul says in Romans when in Romans 8, 10 and 11, he says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that spirit, okay, that's what we're talking about here, goes on to say, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. So this passage in Romans is saying that the spirit that was there when Jesus was raised from the dead, that spirit, okay, I think we would all agree that a spirit that raises a body from the grave is a very powerful spirit. And it says that spirit, that Holy Spirit is able to give life to your, and it even points out, it's like making the distinction, your mortal bodies, you right now in the situation that you're in, you have access to that spirit if Christ is in you. That's pretty amazing. But again, the enemy doesn't want you to believe that. The enemy wants you to look at Philippians and go, wow, that's really cool for Paul, but that's not me. But Romans, Paul's going to remind you there that, oh no, that is you. That is you, and you have that same spirit. Okay, so there, there's situations that we can control. There's situations that we can't control. But let's just talk about the one, and maybe this is a little bit more of a blanket one, but let's just talk about spiritual warfare in and of itself. This is where nothing in your life is seemingly amiss. Circumstances are good, but you're just kind of hit with this debilitating blow of depression. And these ones can leave your head scratching. I have had ones that have come like this, not out of a situation at all. In fact, quite to the contrary, things seem to be going really, really well. And then that leaves you like, what is my problem? How can I possibly be this low when things are going so well right now? And this is where I think this spiritual battle comes in. An example I think of this one is with Job, okay? Job, the very first chapters of Job, 
there's this heavenly scene, this, this heavenly conversation that's going on between Satan and God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? So he kind of, they have this little chat about this. Now, Job, scripture tells us, was a righteous man. We can see from the book that he was doing well. His family was going well. He had property. He was prosperous, all these things. But there was a spiritual conversation, the spiritual warfare battle taking place where God and Satan is having it up there in the first couple chapters of Job talking about this. So Job's plight began in the spiritual realm. And Job is brutal to read, right? And there's a lot of, usually if you're doing a through the Bible reading plan, you're like, oh goodness, am I really going to go through Job? Yes, go through Job. Everyone should still read it. But the story is brutal, right? He loses everything. He's physically afflicted. His friends are absolutely awful, absolutely awful. His wife tells him to curse God and die. That's how amazingly supportive she was. And all along, you know, Job, he was the righteous. He was fine. He was doing well and he was prosperous. And I think the thing we can learn from this is that, you know what? The righteous, the doing well, the prosperous can and will be afflicted. And you may not even know why. The best part of Job is the last few chapters where God speaks and reminds Job of who he is. Reminds Job and us, for sure. I mean, God leaves no question in those final chapters as he points Job back to everything from creation to the creatures that walk along the ground and in the sea. And he reminds Job, he's, he says, were you there? Were you there? Because sometimes we can get a little defiant with God, can't we? And can be like, why, God? Why would I be going through this? And so if you've ever been in that boat, I encourage you to read those last couple chapters of Job because God really brings that home and says, I am God and you're not. That's one of the things that Job shows us. The other thing that I think we see in that is that God really meets Job in his storm, in his pain, and in all the seasons that he's in. In Job 42.5, Job says this. He, he says to this to God. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I think this is an amazing thing that not only, yeah, you can labor through Job and you can read all the trials, you get to those glorious chapters at the end and be reminded of all the things that God is, who he is, and most definitely who we are not. But the other thing that you see is that Job really saw the Lord because of the situation that he he was in. I will dare say even from my own experience, I have seen God in ways that I would not have seen had I not been in that really dark corner of my mind. I really do think that. And Job would echo that here. And he would say, I'd heard of you before. Yep, I had heard you with my ear, but now I see you. With my eyes, I see you. If we are looking, seeking him earnestly in seasons of depression, he will show up in a way that you might have just missed if you weren't struggling. And I know that's a hard thing to hear, But I bet you there's more than one of you out there listening and thinking, yeah, that's true. I've seen the Lord show up in grief and loss and pain and cancer and in horrible situations that I would not have seen if I wasn't there. It's just a true statement. But the spiritual battles are real. And we need to remember that. There is real spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.12 says, reminds us, and it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and in the heavenly places. 
Guys, that's a real reality. We trick ourselves, I suppose, by all the things that we can see and smell and touch. And those are the things that we think are so real. But scripture would tell us that it's actually, it's the spirit, it's the spiritual realm that is far more real. Now, a mistake that is sometimes heard and sometimes said, and I draw that distinction because sometimes I do think people say it correctly, but we can hear things through our own lens and our own bias. But a mistake that is sometimes heard or said is that if you just pray more and read your Bible, you won't go through seasons of depression. And I, I think that it is better said that when you go through depression, digging into your Bible and seeking the Lord more fervently than before is what you need to do. But it's a when. It's, it's not necessarily an if because it's how the battle is waged. And we'll, we'll talk about that more next week. But if you see someone going through depression, it doesn't mean that they just aren't reading their Bible or praying enough. That's not what it means. And we have biblical examples of that. Look again, let's look again at David, Psalm 42. Read the whole Psalm sometime. Amazing. But I read you the other piece earlier so you can really see David truly understood some dark, dark times. This is how he starts starts Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He goes on through the psalm and he says, as I pour out my soul. And then he he puts his request to the Lord too. He says, you know, why you are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? But then he reminds himself and he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Go down to verse nine. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Man, if you've been through depression, can you identify with that right there? Yeah, you totally can. I can. You can feel like, man, when does this end? Okay, David's right there with you. And he ends the psalm similarly as what we just read before. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? But then he always brings it home and he says, but hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I love this psalm because can you read that? We've already identified that, yep, for sure, David understood depression. But can you read that and go, well, he clearly was not praying or he wasn't seeking the Lord. No, I beg to differ, right? It says, as the deer pants for water. Like he's literally craving God's God and his word and and who and his presence. He's craving it. He's thirsting after it. That's how fervently he is seeking God. His prayer is all throughout here, pouring out his soul and being truly honest and very vulnerable with the Lord and saying, I am cast down. This is where I'm at. And I am in turmoil. But the other piece that you keep seeing with David is how he keeps encouraging himself that his hope is in God and that he shall praise him, my rock and my salvation. I mean, those are the words that keep coming through. My point is, is that you you can't look at someone that's going through depression and just going, well, they clearly just are not reading their Bible or praying enough. Because if that were the case, then David would have just been, you know, right as rain all the time. And he wasn't. So there's a biblical example. But another one that I love is Charles Spurgeon, old preacher from the 1800s. I love reading Spurgeon. He was one of the most prolific writers of his time. I mean, the dude wrote a ton of sermons and letters. And I mean, he was just very productive with his time, which is the reason that blows my mind is because he went through some very severe 
not only health challenges, he had a lot of health issues that would lay him up for months at a time, but he also went through really intense seasons of depression. I mean, really dark seasons. So you'd go, well, did anybody want to tell Spurgeon? You just need to, you just aren't praying enough. You're not reading your Bible enough. No, that's not it. So if the enemy or maybe even a well-intended friend is saying that the cause of the season that you're going through, the, the depression that you're feeling, is that you aren't praying or reading your Bible, I don't think we can make that case. But it is also still true that when these seasons hit, go like David and thirst after the Lord like never before. Like, I mean, really, it's a pretty cool picture to think that he is panting after the Lord like that. That's what he wants. Now, will that be the cure? Well, sometimes we're so longing to see our suffering end that I think we miss what the Lord is doing in the suffering. We just want it to be over. But sometimes I think the Lord might keep us in it for a bit longer because he wants to see us there. He wants to meet us. I'm going to show you guys an example of that next week. We're going to look into Daniel. So hang on to that. But it's not necessarily that you're going because if you just read your Bible more, then all of a sudden you're going to feel better. No, it's just because that's what you should do. And we need to go at it like David. And we need to seek him even more. So next week, we're going to go into a few more examples of being in it. And I want to get really practical next week, too. But I wanted this week for us to just identify how we get in these seasons of depression. Are they controlled? Are they uncontrolled? Is it just spiritual warfare? You know, it can be any one of those, but I want to call out that main character every time and that Satan is the common main character each and every time. So know who your enemy is. I want to give you just, just kind of remind you of pretty much the greatest juxtaposition of all time, okay? On one side, you have Satan, who hates you so much. And now when, when I was raising my kids, we didn't allow them to say the word hate. That was a bad word. We can use this word here, okay? Satan hates you. I mean, hates you. He doesn't care what you're doing. He doesn't care what you're going through. He will lie to you. His ultimate goal is to keep you captive, broken, alone, in bondage to your sin, and destroy you. That's the only thing that he seeks to do. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He wants to tear you apart. John 8, 44, Jesus said, he, he said, you, speaking to the Jewish leaders, he said, are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Boy, that's a real great way to notice if something is of the enemy or of the Lord. Is it a lie? Is there truth in it? Because there can be no truth in him. He is a liar. John 10, 10 identifies him this way. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But then John 10 goes on to say, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this opens us up then to the other side of this juxtaposition, right? You have the Satan on one side, the enemy of your soul who absolutely can't stand you. And on the other side, you have Jesus God who says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God loves us. He loves you. And I mean, loves you. Not like the world's crazy definition of love. I mean, like the cares about every tear you cry, cares about every illness that you suffer through, willing to die for you kind of love. 
Like he loves you. So recognize these two sides here. Recognize who you are fighting when you go through depression or when your loved one does, who they are fighting. If you know who your enemy is, you're going to be able to spot him and you're going to know the weapons that you need to pick up. Now, those weapons, like I said, we're going to spend some time next week looking at just that. But I wanted to draw your attention today to the fact that while science and medicine has told us for 30 years that there was a pill for that, it turns out they were wrong. They got it wrong. And if you're going through this right now, I want you to hear that it's okay. David, a man after God's own heart, walked through this too. And you aren't a less than Christian. You aren't somehow doing it all wrong. You are loved by the Father. And yeah, you are going through hard times. That's okay. Was Paul going through rosy, wonderful times? No, We are so interested these days to run away from our suffering and pain. And I get it. It's a a survival thing in our flesh that we want to do that, that we don't realize that sometimes within our suffering, within our pain, Jesus wants to see us right there and show us some really amazing things that we might have missed if we weren't there. Now, hear me on this. I want to just repeat this. I said this at the beginning of the podcast, but I think it's important because I don't want anyone to misunderstand. You know, if, if you're hearing this and you're on antidepressants right now and you hear this or maybe you read this study somewhere else and you're like, man, I just I just want to go off cold turkey. Please, please do not do that. Like I said, these are powerful drugs. They change things in your brain. So respect that. Go to a doctor and you guys talk about if and how you should do that. It's really, really important. But this is a huge issue, and I think we need to give it some attention. Women struggle through this. And again, if it's not you, man, that's great, but you're going to have someone that does. You really are. While as tough as it is, it's not a battle that Scripture doesn't equip us for. It really does. So next week, I want to get really practical. I want to just get in as much as I can and also look at Daniel as it relates to this topic. And we're just going to keep exploring this. But I want to just ask you guys, even between now and next week, to really be praying for whether you are the one that's going through or maybe it's just someone that you know and love that is really going through these seasons right now. Really lift them up in prayer. And I Hope that you won't just hear the, oh, I'm praying for you thing, like, oh, that somehow does not matter. It is not thoughts and prayers when they kind of throw that off in there and your good vibes and all that stuff. That is that is not it. Prayer, real prayer, praying in the word, praying scripture for friends, praying scripture over your own life. But let's do that for not just all the women that are hearing this podcast that might be going through the season, but for the literally millions of women that struggle with this every day. And the Lord wants to see them in that storm. He wants to be like, you know, I know you've heard about me, but I want to show you who I am. So let's be praying that while this isn't a fun topic that everyone just likes to talk about, I don't. It's an important one. And I think that Sometimes the things that keeps us from talking about this is a little bit of the fear of man, a little bit of the, well, you know, I don't want to offend someone. No, no one's seeking to offend necessarily, but we are seeking to just say what the word says. And I think we've got some really great biblical examples from scripture, from David, but either way, the scripture really does equip us to go through any season in life that we're in, the good ones and the bad ones. 
And so we're just wanna keep plugging in and digging in to his word as we walk through this. So with that, I will catch you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.